Thank you for joining us for another edition of Behind the Editor's Curtain with Don Corrigan. Each edition focuses on points of interest relating to the environment and the community. And now, here's Don. Well, today, Environmental Echo is talking to Nancy Ellen Carver. And Nancy Ellen Carver has just put together a great book, Compendium of Discovering Public Parks in St. Louis, Missouri. How are you doing, Nancy? I'm doing great, thank you. Well, how did you decide to get into this topic? You obviously had to do a lot of research. What inspired this book? Well, I'm related to the Tillis that Tillis Park is named for, and one of my friends was passing by the park one day and thought, hey, it'd be a great idea for Nancy to write a book about parks. And coincidentally, my son's last name is Park, so who better than to write about parks? Um, well, this so, sounds very incestuous that you've yes, got going here. Yes. <laughs> well, but then I said, well, Nene Harris and Esley Hamilton had just written a book about parks, and he said, well, Churchill has innumerable books written about him, so just find an aspect of parks that has not been discussed before. So. I have to say that I'd rather read 10 books on parks than 10 books on Churchill. Ah. So. <laughs> yes, well... That, that's probably true. It's more exciting. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You like Tillis Park because of the family connection. I, I think your book has a beautiful cover. How did you uh, decide on the cover of De Pere Park? Well, I wanted to put a park on the cover that represented one of the municipal parks since they are uh, rarely discussed when we write about parks. We generally hit on the larger parks in the area. So one of the park employees in Bridgeton had a beautiful picture of a park there, and so I was going to use that, but it was too low of a resolution. So the uh, printer had a friend who uh, was a professional photographer, and he happened to have a photograph of De Pere Park that also reflected the a scenery in the water, which is what the original picture did. So uh-huh. it, it's a beautiful picture. It is a beautiful picture. That's one thing that I like about your book is it doesn't focus on the parks that get all the attention. Of course, a lot of our large parks deserve attention, but you also talk a lot about little vest uh, parks or pocket parks in neighborhoods. I know as a, as a reporter, I go around um, the St. Louis area and I'm always uh, pleasantly surprised to see a little park that's like two blocks by two blocks. What's the importance of vest parks? Well, I think the importance is it sort of breaks up the area so that you have some green space and you have an area where people in the neighborhood can come and visit, take their children, just sort of relax. They typically don't have much more than a playground area or a monument or statue there, but they are a nice place for the neighborhood to visit, and people love them. Well, that's, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. I'm always amazed that these parks survive because developers seem to be looking for every piece of property they can find. How, do the neighbors put up a fight? How do they manage to save these green spaces? Well, sometimes it's uh, very difficult, and it depends on the developer, and it depends on the neighborhood. Um, But parks of all sizes are particularly vulnerable to uh, developers and also to city and local government who may want to use the space for other reasons. 
we only have a finite amount of land and it can be used for a number of different reasons. So it's the, one of the reasons that I wrote the book was to make people aware of all the parks and how great they are and the amenities so that they not only are aware of them, but they volunteer to work on them to keep them attractive and that they also use their voice to protest if they find out that the government or developers are after that parkland because parks belong to everyone. Yeah, and, and it seems like people sometimes put more energy and get angrier about uh, losing land than any other thing, and, and, and maybe that makes sense because it's where you live, it's in your backyard. What are some pocket parks that you're particularly familiar with that, that you like and that you talk a little bit about in the book? Well, I think that the Walker Park in Kirkwood is one of my favorite ones because it has those turtle sculptures. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, But there's so many of them around the city and county. I think in the city, they used a lot of the vacant land and converted them to park pocket parks mm-hmm. just to, to do something mm-hmm. with land that was otherwise vacant. But there's a number of very small parks in Webster Groves. Mm-hmm. Um, that are wonderful parks. So I think that every community um, of the 61 municipalities that has them has a pocket park. You know, you know, one of the things that I think is pretty interesting in your book is just the ranking of St. Louis. We get we get such a bad rap for so many of these rankings they do about cities, but but you mentioned in your book that we rank number four in America for the number of parks in our region. Um, Yes, that's true. When you combine the city and county, we are the number four. And when I was thinking about how to develop the book, I read a lot of the research that the Trust for Public Land in Washington, D.C. did, and their statistics just reflected the city. And I knew from living in other cities that St. Louis, if you looked at the county as well, and I consider St. Louis city and county, has a lot more parks than just what's in the city. So, so that's why I set out to do to look at all the parks, not just city parks or county parks, but also the federal and state parks. Because when you add up all of those parks, we have a tremendous number of parks. And I think what's really good is that when you compare it to, say, Los Angeles, Los Angeles has um, more parks, but a lot of them are in mountainous areas and they're not really accessible to people in all areas of Los Angeles, particularly people who live in more disadvantaged neighborhoods. I like that. So let's disqualify Los Angeles and say we're number three in the number of parks we have. Right. Uh huh. <laughs> and so we, our parks, by contrast, are widely dispersed. And even New York, which has a phenomenal number of parks, and a lot of that is because they have tiny parks with a statue or something. Mm-hmm. In it. They don't have a lot of parks in Manhattan itself, but they also have five boroughs. So they, New York, I think a lot of people just think of Manhattan, but it's really a much larger area mm-hmm. uh, than that. So, so we rank very high um, in terms of the number of parks. And I think that's a great thing. We need to stop talking about what we don't have and start 
publicizing what's great about St. Louis. Well, I, I know I raised my family um, in the Webster-Kirkwood area, and when I wanted to take my kids places, there's different parks for different things to do, like Crestwood Park is known for its sledding hill, and Kirkwood Park has Myrtle's Turtles that you were talking about, those sculptures and fishing. Uh-huh. Blackburn Park in Webster Groves has a, an owl tree and a spring and some, some sinkholes that are pretty interesting to show young kids. What are some of the other parks that have reputations for one thing or another? I know you mentioned well, Susan Park, which is a pretty amazing park. Yes, that's very amazing park. And I really love uh, Lone Elk Park, too, which is out in uh, what used to be called West Tyson Park, but it has elk and bison, and that just has such an interesting story to it, too, because all of them, all of the elk that had been there were uh, terminated by uh, the U.S. government during the Korean conflict Mm -hmm. um, because they were actually hurting the vehicles, the government vehicles that were in there. But one lone elk survived, and which is why it's called Lone Elk Park. And then school children got together and uh, put their money together to purchase more elk from Colorado. So now there's no long. Now it's a misnomer because it's not just a lone elk. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. And there are just so many different amenities. I mean, there's Wayne Kennedy, who used to be the director of the county parks, always said um, there, there's something for everyone in all the parks. It may not be all in one park but it's somewhere in the parks and that's why I listed every single amenity including dog parks that exist in parks so no matter what you're really attracted to in terms of amenities you can easily find it by going through the charts in the different pages. Well, that's one of the things that's fascinating, I think, about parks in St. Louis is each one has a history. Tell us a little bit about the history of Tillis Park, which you're familiar with because you're, it has a family name. And tell us a little bit about Susan Park. How, how did it come about? Tillis Park was donated in 1932, which was in the beginning of the Depression era. And it was my great-uncle's country home and he originally purchased it at the turn of the century and my great uncle's parents both died when he was very young and his mother was the first one to die so he was really affected by that and he wanted to have something because at the time it was considered part of the city or well the, the county didn't have a park system I should say that but he wanted a place where kids from the city could come out to the country enjoy themselves mm-hmm. so since the county didn't have a park system he donated it to the city mm-hmm. and then so many people from the county as the county grew attended the park that uh the city decided you know it shouldn't be a city park anymore so mm-hmm. they sold it to the county and then because the terms of the original donation said you have to also then establish another park, there's another Tillis Park in the city mm-hmm. of St. Louis. So that's why we have two Tillis Parks. People often think that they're named after two different people, but they're both named after Rosalie Tillis. Yeah. And how are you related to her again? She's my great-great-grandmother, and I grew up on the street next to it. And actually, um, the WPA put in all that stonework that's in that park and in the 40s then after the depression all of that area surrounding the park 
eventually became developed because uh, when you look at the ads for those subdivisions, they all say, this is a great place to be. It's right next to the park. And it really shows that having uh, parks really improves the real estate uh, in the surrounding Sure. You, you mentioned the WPA, and so many people knock government work. But, boy, when you travel around Missouri and Illinois and you see the work, the legacy of WPA, they really did some pretty amazing uh, building and you know, on our parks, didn't they? Oh yes, they did, and it, Forest Park has some of it, and also the Civilian Conservation Corps. Mm-hmm. They worked more in the Ozark area, but they were two separate programs. The WPA sometimes worked on swimming pools, but also uh, did a lot of stone structures that you see, even stone steps in different parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the a Civilian Conservation Corps was gen- were generally unemployed, and a lot of them black men who would go to work in the state parks, in primarily in Missouri and the Ozark area, and as a condition of their employment, a certain percentage of the money had to go back to their families back home to help mm-hmm. them through the Depression. But they did wonderful things in our state parks that yeah. uh, are worth seeing. Yes. Well, so tell us about Susan Park. What's the, I know that's a place where I used to take my uh, children for the petting zoo or whatever the, you would call that feature in Susan. Yes, well, Susan Park was originally owned by the person who owned the St. Louis Blues hockey. Uh, Sidney Salomon? Yes. He also owned, I think he owned the part of the baseball team. He owned the stadium, mm-hmm. and so he's big in sports. And he had a lot of land. And uh, Wayne Kennedy, again, I interviewed him before he passed away, and he acquired an amazing amount of acreage from different people. He was very good at schmoozing them and getting them to give up the land. Well, he had a number of conversations with Sidney Solomon about donating the land, and Sidney really, he was a harder nut to crack in terms of trying to get him to give up his land because he was a businessman, and he, you know, just, it was just harder for Wayne to negotiate with him. So finally, out of frustration, Wayne yelled at him and told him he was selfish, which was something you wouldn't normally have a, a county official say to somebody and have them willingly then give you some land to donate. <laughs> but Sydney was struck by that. And, you know, a day after the conversation, he called him back up and he said he donated mm. <laughs> to the county. So, you know, there's different strategies for getting people to donate land, and that was just one that worked. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people in South County are, are grateful that he yelled at him, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say. So Wayne did a lot uh, for the county, and there is a Kennedy Park named after him mm-hmm. for that reason. One of the things that, that I enjoy doing is hiking and biking, and you can see that that's really caught on in St. Louis when you see the growth of the trails. One of the things that I find fascinating and fun is being able to bike from one park to the other. So if you're on the Merrimack Greenway Trail, you can start at George Winter Park in Fenton. You can go to Minnehaha Park uh, in Sunset Hills. You can head down the road to Unger Park. and then you can go further down the Merrimack Greenway Trail west and you can end up at Simpson Park. How do these trails link all these parks and is that something that's making St. Louisans more aware of the green legacy that they have? 
Um, yes, I think, well, part of this book is to make sure that people do understand that. Uh, having a ring around St. Louis where you could go from area to area was a concept that was early on in St. Louis history in terms of park planning. It didn't come to fruition until after the uh, 2004 different committees that were started by Jack Danforth, St. Louis 2004. And actually, they weren't going to have a committee on parks, but the um, Peter Raven, who the former head of the Botanical Gardens, said, you really should have something that deals with parks. So from that suggestion, a number, a couple of different committees came about, and eventually Great Rivers Greenway. And it's a terrific way for people, as you say, to go not only from park to park, but through the various communities and without having to traverse through crowded streets and mm-hmm. their chances uh, against automobiles that have a lot more protection. I know. When I look at the trails that we have in St. Louis, I often wonder why risk your life on the streets when you've got so many other alternatives that go through these beautiful parks. But I do understand that people are trying to promote bike riding to work and and you really can't get away from being on a roadway uh, for that purpose. Right, and I I have no problem with people using it for transportation, but I agree with you. I think if people were more aware of the fantastic uh, bike paths that we have in these greenways, they would try them and use them more than what they're being used now. I mean, a tremendous number of people do use them, but I would like to see more people use them. And I think in terms of the country, we really outshine other cities in terms of the number of greenways that we have. Can parks and trails get loved a little too much? I know the state legislature has been flirting with the idea of having or allowing all-terrain vehicles, ATVs, use these trails on a limited basis. Do you worry that parks and trails can be loved too much? Well, I I am concerned about how they are used, and we do have one state park where they use all-terrain vehicles, that's St. Joe Park, and, you know, if it were up to me, I would keep it to that one park because I think that kind of usage can really hurt the environment, and that's one thing we want to do is make sure that we protect our cultural heritage and our environment. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we really monitor how the parks and conservation areas are being used. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah, I again, I just keep it to St. Joe, uh-huh. if it were up to me. Uh-huh. Well, it's up to the people. I mean, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons why we have so many parks and so many good parks is because people really have been pretty active in, in uh, lobbying for them and advocating for them. Let me ask you this. You, you say there's over 600 parks in the area, did you visit all 600 parks, or, or how did you how did uh, no. you assemble how did you assemble this? Well, it was a very difficult process. If I think I, I think if I had thought if I had known how difficult it would be in the beginning, I may not have done it. I had to actually coordinate with every single public entity, and of course, in the county, you have 91 different communities and they have varying stages of resources so some of them like Kirkwood and Webster have larger park entities so it's pretty easy to coordinate with them Mm -hmm. but then some communities have a phone that's maybe in use maybe two hours a week and then during those two hours no one may be there to man it 
and uh, some communities don't have computers. So it was very hard to track down the person who might have information. And when I did find a person who had it, sometimes they didn't know what the park was. Mm -hmm. So certain times I had to get people to go out there and measure it. I was helped a great deal by some a couple of bloggers in the city of St. Louis who actually go out and visit every uh, single park. One of them are picnickers that picnic in every single park in the city, and they help you know verify some of the city information. The county went through a great process um, because they had a lot of conflicting information, so they finally went to the original deeds to verify the acreage that was there, and they did a lot of other verification to make sure that the information was correct. Mm-hmm. So it took a lot of work to get everybody on board with the project, mm-hmm. but once they did, they were pretty enthusiastic about it. And the Municipal League also helped um, when I have trouble with some of the very small yeah. communities. Yeah. Now, you do single out some parks at the you know, conclusion of your book, the end of your book, for some special recognition. And I like that you did Lawmar in uh, Sunset Hills. You said 10 sort of must-know things about Lawmar. Tell us about, just give us a couple of those things that you should know about Lawmar Park and Sunset Hills. Well, what's very interesting about them is they have contemporary sculpture. And I think when you go to many of the parks in St. Louis, particularly into the city, you're going to see more traditional types of uh, sculpture, older sculpture. You know, parks have to appeal to a variety of interests, so I think it's great that they have uh, sculptural works from a variety of different areas. And what I also think is very interesting about that park is when it first started, uh, people were calling it a junkyard. And um, <laughs> they didn't like the first sculpture that went yeah. up. And when that made the news, uh, you know, nobody was going to the park. And then that made the news that that's what was happening. And then all these curiosity seekers went out there to yeah. take a look. And they loved it. And people kept going on and on. So one man's junk is another man's treasure. Yeah, I remember there was a traffic helicopter guy in St. Louis who used to go past it and say, there's that broken down oil derrick in Sunset Hills. And he was referring to the way. And yeah. I, I always got a chuckle out of that, but I'm sure some art people, sculpture people, weren't amused. But no, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. So, but it, it's uh, it's very nice for children too to get up. They, I think they can get up closer to those sculptures than they can. So many of our sculptures are up high on pedestals, but these are lower down, so it's easier for children. And that's um, another thing that I think sets St. Louis apart because there's just not those kinds of outdoor sculpture parks in in most cities, to my knowledge. No, I think ours is the largest and, you know, one of the most renowned in the country. So that's another plus for us. Now, you also give quite a bit of attention at the end of the book to the granddaddy of uh, St. Louis Park's Forest Park. Did the success of Forest Park and just the marvel of that park inspire a lot of other parks in St. Louis, do you think? I think it did, but in turn, uh, that was inspired a lot by Central Park, which inspired other parks throughout the country, mm-hmm. um, because everybody wanted to have something like Central Park. Mm-hmm. But it, it was also something that people realized would work because we had the fairgrounds before that. 
and the fairgrounds, though it wasn't a public park, it was privately owned, it had all of the picnic features and the zoo and other things that you now see in Forest Park. Mm-hmm. But Forest Park had the first outdoor theater, which was a wonderful thing and a, ver- and a curiosity for people who came during the uh, Parks and Recreation Convention mm-hmm. that was held here in St. Louis. So it it has such wonderful attractions. That's what makes it, you know, number one some years in terms of the best park in the country. It's 57th in size among major cities, but it's fourth in the number of people who visit it. Yeah, it's, it really is a, a gem for St. Louis. In my reading of the history of Forest Park, one of the things that I really like is that it brought so many different elements together. You had the conservative businessmen who wanted it because they wanted to you know, develop large homes nearby and use it as a focus. And you had ministers who said that the working people, that the immigrants that came to St. Louis needed a place to recreate after uh, working hard all week. Um, uh-huh. You had the early tree huggers arguing for green space. We live in such divided times now that there's just very few issues that bring people together. And, and uh, I was just struck by that, that here, here's, here's something that can actually bring a polarized society, country together on parks, green space. Yeah, that that's really true. And uh, the movement was really, we owe a lot to Leffingwell, who founded Kirkwood, who really initiated the drive. He wanted it to be 3,000 acres at first. So Yeah, his name ke- keeps popping up when you read about Forest Park. And, you know, they, they have a street in Kirkwood named for Leffingwell, and it's kind of a light industrial kind of area that you would not really associate with uh, somebody that's into green and and nature and parks. What is his connection again to the Forest Park? He's the one that pushed for it. Mm -hmm. He did all the work, you know, it took, I think it was the third try before it was actually passed. Because um, the neighbors, the wealthier neighbors that surrounded Forest Park were really not too much in favor of it because they felt like uh, the government was taking their land, Mm -hmm. that they would also have to pay higher taxes. Mm -hmm. And so he had to come up with different accommodations, including the size of the park, to make it more palatable for people in order for it to pass. And then, of course, they also had to agree to come up with Carondelet and O'Fallon Park to satisfy people who lived in the north and south and felt that they weren't getting their fair share of green space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mentioned a little bit about the politics of parks. And we got to bring things to a close here. But were you heartened when when uh, former county executive Charlie Dooley said we were going to have to close some parks um, because of a budget crunch with the county and and just the crescendo of, of uh, outrage about this? Does that kind of bode well for the future of parks and the preservation of parks? Because it didn't take long for him to reverse course with all the people that were upset about that. Right. Yes, I am extremely heartened by that. And I think, as you have said, it's one issue that people can agree upon. Mm -hmm. You like your green space, and as the space for your homes, the outside greenery gets smaller and smaller, as it's doing in a lot of the areas. You really want to have that green space that you can go to. And most people, we live in times where people are more health conscious, and Mm -hmm. so they realize the environmental benefits that parks bring. We do need to bring things to a close. How do people find out more about your book? Where can they uh, 
pick it up and what is your mission with the book? Okay, it's a two-pronged mission, so first it's getting it out to everyone, and I'll explain where it can be uh, acquired. But I also plan to go to as many libraries as I can throughout the city and county to just let people know about the history of parks and what a struggle it was to bring uh, the different park systems into fruition, Mm -hmm. uh, to get people to know about them. And so that's my big mission, so that people volunteer and people realize they need to donate, you know, their own money to help the parks. And also just to make people, just help with planning process in the future. Mm-hmm. The book is available at the independent bookstore in Webster Grove. It's called The Neighborhood okay. Bookstore. Also at the Missouri History Museum. I am working with a couple of other independent stores to sell it. The Missouri Forest Relief will also sell it too. So you can contact them. It's only $10 for 150 pages of really a lot of information about parks. So it's a best buy. Mm-hmm. What's that work out to, about 10 cents a page? Less than that. I think I calculated seven, almost 7 cents a page. Well, so. that's 7 cents well so. spent for each page. Well, congratulations on your book. And, thank you uh, very much. And thanks so much for what you uh, have done and accomplished for uh, St. Louis Green Space. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. This is Don Corrigan for Environmental Echo. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Have a good green day, folks.